from PRX. This is Studio 360. I'm Kurt Anderson. Brexit. 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 The British people have voted to leave the European Union. We are leaving the European Union. Hundreds of thousands of people have taken to the streets of London demanding a second referendum. European leaders say a chaotic no-deal Brexit in two weeks' time is now a likely outcome. An extension to the Brexit process to the end of October at the latest. Three years ago, the people of the UK voted to pull out of the EU. But since then... There's been this bizarre, baffling series of parliamentary deadlocks, deadlines, extensions, fiasco after fiasco. The Scottish writer Ali Smith is writing a tetralogy of novels set against this not-quite-post-Brexit backdrop, each of them named after a season. The third one in her series, Spring, comes out this week. I spoke with Smith when the first book, Autumn, had just been published in America. And I asked her to start with a reading. All across the country, people felt it was the wrong thing. All across the country, people felt it was the right thing. All across the country, people felt they'd really lost. All across the country, people felt they'd really won. All across the country, people felt they'd done the right thing and... Other people had done the wrong thing. All across the country, people looked up Google. What is EU? All across the country, people looked up Google. Move to Scotland. All across the country, people looked up Google. Irish passport applications. And that is Ali Smith reading from her new novel, Autumn. So this book has all the hallmarks of great fiction. It has literary illusions and ideas, and it's somewhat formally experimental. Uh, it, it has this epic time frame over many decades. It is also a bit, however, as they say, ripped from the headlines. The thing about, what should we say, ripped from the headlines, it, it's a funny old thing, writing books. I, I've been thinking about writing a seasonal quartet, as it were, four books, which would all be called simply the names of the seasons, which would then go to make up a bigger book for about 20 years. And then uh, a couple of years ago, I wrote a book which my publisher here in the UK because I was writing really late to a deadline that was far gone by the time I handed it in. They did it within six weeks. And then I was like, you can make this beautiful a book in six weeks. Uh, so I began to think about whether it would be possible to do that quartet that I've been waiting to do. And then I began to think about uh, what it would mean to have a contemporary novel. And I started writing this novel. And as I was writing it, we came up to the referendum here in the UK. And, you know, it was really obvious that there was a pretty big division coming and it came. And so I asked my publisher in, in the end, could I simply have an extra month to attend to the novel to make sure that the novel, I, I kind of felt like I would be cheating the novel if it didn't face the contemporary or the country didn't face it. Right. Um, uh, so this was uh, Brexit. The referendum happened eight months ago. This book came out. Uh, five months ago. And yeah, then, of course, four months ago, uh, we had our election here mm -hmm. in the United States. Um, and, you know, in some similar ways, uh, I, lots of people in the United States are as upset about Donald mm -hmm. Trump being president as lots of Brits are about Brexit, um, which which I guess is 
good for you, book sales-wise, right? Oh, no, no, no. Who cares about sales? What, what, what's really happening here is that a, a sense of division, which we sensed in Brexit, and then what's happening in America adds to this, and all of a sudden, division is... Uh, division, which was already worldwide, right. is so in view, so made visible. Well, and it was so striking also when one saw mm. the basic outlines of who voted for whom in yeah. this presidential election. Very similar demographically in every other way to the Brexit voters. I know, I know. And all that's happening is more and more division, expedient political division. <sighs> she sighs. Yes. Mm. Um, um, your characters in Autumn, your main characters, Elizabeth and Daniel, uh, embody in various ways these political currents and struggles, but the book is really about uh, their singular personal um, relationship. Now, to give a flavor of that uh, and a glimpse of their friendship, I would love you to read one of their chats, the, the, the passage where she's oh, yeah. uh, 11 and he's 80-something, and they're, and they're walking along the canal. Sure. Hang on. The word Jimkana, Daniel said, is a wonderful word. A word grown from several languages. Words don't get grown, Elizabeth said. They do, Daniel said. Words aren't plants, Elizabeth said. Words are themselves organisms, Daniel said. Oregonoisms, Elizabeth said. Herbal and verbal, Daniel said. Language is like poppies. It just takes something to churn the earth round them up. And when it does, up come the sleeping words, bright red, fresh, blowing about. Then the seed heads rattle, the seeds fall out. Then there's even more language waiting to come up. That's from Autumn, this old man talking to this little girl, their friends. Um, and it is it is a lovely, fun bit of wordplay mm. that, that works, one, because it's in dialogue rather than the author saying it, I think. And also because there's a child involved, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if those were adults, you'd go, what? They're insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about friendship, isn't it? It makes it makes the insufferable more than sufferable. Yes. It makes it meaningful and it makes it matter to us. And it also makes uh, a kind of innocence possible, yes. um, regardless of what age we are. Yeah. A, a lot of uh, your work features uh, witty and precocious girls like Elizabeth in this book. Um, do you just have a knack for that? Or, or do you think about, oh, how can I make this person not be just a miniature adult? Firstly, uh, I think uh, all my characters... <laughs> No matter what gender, are witty and precocious. Yeah, uh, it also gives a taste of a thing you do again and again in, in your work, and I like very much. Which is, it's a very adult novel, but it also becomes like a. There's a children's book aspect occasionally to the oh, to the okay. prose. Okay, well, um, I have this theory, right, that a really good book can be read by anybody, no matter what age that person is. Uh-huh. I I think that that theory hit me when I was a kid myself and grew up in a a household of older siblings whose books were pretty much the only books we had in the house. Otherwise, it was library books. And you were the youngest of many. And I was the youngest quite far back of four. So, um, you know, I was eight years old and I was reading things, which when I was 20, I read Joyce's Dubliners and I thought, oh, God, I... I know this. I read it when I was eight. Huh. So you can read Swift at any age, you'll get something from right, it. You right. can read Joyce at any age, right, you'll get something from right. it. So I don't see a, a dichotomy in that. You know, I see books always working for all of us huh. at all our ages, different huh. times. Um, your characters refer to Dickens in this yeah. book and Shakespeare and yeah. Huxley and Keats, uh, uh, probably others. The idea there is is what? Is that books are made by books. 
is that, I mean, this book particularly, I think Autumn, this is interesting now thinking about it, this book is really about reading and it's about how we read, how we read the world and how to be equipped to read the world. Um, the sense that we are now buffeted with information, 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 language, language, visuals, visuals all the time coming at us. How do we read it? How do we know where we are in it? How do we make any sense of it? The notion of how to read is, I think, uh, the source uh, how to look, how to read, how to read images, uh -huh. how to read the world. Books are one of the ways we learn to read the world most empathetically, most complexly, most humanly, um, and most, shall we say, um, dimensionally. Right. Um, and so when you write about characters, when you're thinking of the backstory that doesn't appear on the page, do you have a sense of, oh, the, the, this happened and oh, she's read this? And you, she kind of, you kind of know everything. You know, they come fully formed, really. They bring it all with them, you know? And in the case of Elizabeth, do you think, oh, she definitely, Middlemarch is sitting there on her desk as well, and she's read that a few times? Oh, God, I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to go back and ask her again. Oh. I, um, I don't know that she'd be one for the Victorian novels there, you know, yeah. Uh-huh. You know everything. I mean, you know stuff like their favorite song in The Sound of Music. And, and Elizabeth's favorite song from The Sound of Music, and I know most of them, uh, is what? Oh, her her favorite scene and for and song would be the do re mi on the steps. You know, uh -huh. when the kids jump up and more, down the more steps. More children's literature. I know, as if from a children's book in a film about fascism. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a, a moment for our age. Um, there are so many. So, so, are you so interested in what people have read, for instance, that when you go to visit somebody's house, you kind of sneak a few minutes looking at their bookshelves? I'm afraid I spend. I would spend the whole time looking at their bookshelves. <laughs> I wouldn't come out of the book room. In fact, I wouldn't even speak to them. I would just be reading a book, going, oh, "I didn't know you had this." Huh? I, I get. I get you now. <laughs> what about that? What about you? What uh, you I know like? me too. But yeah. but but that and 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 of course I have to restrain myself from looking in their medicine cabinet. Uh, but in their medicine cabinet, see, I'd be looking to see what whiskeys they had. Yeah, well, well I, I wouldn't necessarily yeah. be drinking them, but I'd be interested in what they had, you know? Yep. The show will resume very, very shortly. But first, I wanted to take this opportunity to remind you to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Studio360Show. And now, back to the podcast. So in addition to Elizabeth and Daniel, there is this remarkable third character who kind of looms over their lives, Pauline Boaty, who was this real-life British pop artist in the 1960s. And at first, as I'm reading this novel, I think, oh, this is an interesting character that Ali Smith made up because I'd never heard of her. And then I, I felt stupid for having never heard of her. I know. You know what? There's a spirit behind this book. Uh, it's a spirit of Pauline Boaty, who was um, the one and only female UK pop artist. Uh, she was right in at the makings of the, the British pop movement. She was a glorious kind of inventive and experimental figure in her art um, and also in the world. I mean, she was a very beautiful woman who, when uh, Ken Russell was making his film, quite a famous film here called Pop Goes the Easel, which is about four seminal uh, British pop artists. Boaty is at the centre of that film. Our programme tonight consists of one single film that we've made about four young artists. They're four painters who turn for their subject matter to the world of pop art. Pauline Boaty, she's 24, 24 yesterday in fact. She's just started to exhibit her work properly. I've always had very vivid dreams and I can remember them very, very easily. And I've used the kind of atmosphere of the dreams in my collages. She's working in collage in a way that nobody else is at that point. And she 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 has a bit part uh, in in the movie Alfie making out she, with. She 
Let's start. She's got a, an uncredited book part uh, getting off with Michael Caine behind a row of clothes <laughs> yeah. in a dry cleaner shop in Alfie. There was this manageress of a dry cleaner. And I was getting a suit clean in the bargain. She was uh, an actress. She was on the stage. She was a dancer in Ready, Steady, Go, which is a seminal pop program here. Um, she was a speaker on radio about things way ahead of her time, right. like class and gender. And then she died. And she died at the age of 28. And she died of cancer. And she died because um, she was pregnant. She went to the doctor. The doctor said, we found a tumour. Uh, and she wouldn't harm the baby by taking anything chemical to right. start the cancer. So she died. She had the baby and she died. Which makes her story uh, already kind of extraordinary, all the more tragic and romantic, and makes the fact that I haven't heard of her and you hadn't heard of her until later kind of, I, I don't get it. No, no, I don't get it either. I had happened on a picture of um, Pauline Booty's and I was like, what's that picture? I've never seen anything like that. And I looked at Pauline Booty and I was like, why do all these pictures, there aren't that many of them, but why did they stop at 1966? And she was called the Bardot of something? She was that? called the Wimbledon Bardot. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, serious novelists, and you're a serious novelist, aren't supposed to uh, write about what's happening now because you're supposed to be write, writing for the ages. Listen, <laughs> we don't I guess get, you abandoned that. We don't get to choose what we write about. At least I don't get to choose what I write about. I mean, these books are going to be seasonal books. They're going to be about, you know, the long view. They're going to be about something at the basis of time, which is diachronic, which is cyclic. What, what does diachronic mean? Diachronic. Okay, so synchronic if you imagine, is like we live from day to day Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right, Sunday we're right. living along a line. Diachronic is on Tuesday you think about when you were 30 years old and two seconds later you think about when you were uh -huh, three years uh -huh, old uh -huh. and three seconds later you think about when you're going to be in your 80s and so the diachronic is like dimensional you know, kind of... Um, right, and vertical. how we do all the time, even though, it, as you describe it, it exactly. sounds like some crazy art. <laughs> it just isn't. It's just what we're like. We are. We are the craziest art, and it is completely natural to us to live all our times at once, even yeah. the ones we haven't lived yet. I feel like you're my professor. I'm, I'm learning a lot. Um, um, <laughs> so so, so uh, autumn is the first of these uh, four. I, does that mean you then move to winter and spring and summer in that order? Not you know, you're learning so well. <laughs> Thank you, professor. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be that simple, that chronological. We're going to go to winter next. Ali Smith, thanks so much. I, I really, really enjoyed the book, and I totally enjoyed talking to you. So thank you uh, very much. What a pleasure it's been talking to you. I talked with Ali Smith in 2017. Her newest novel in the series that began with Autumn, Spring, is out right now. Thanks for listening, and you can subscribe to Studio 360 at iTunes or Overcast or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. 